We are in, uh, we're going to be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 to start us off. So Acts 2, 42 to 47 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage and its picture of uh, what community can be and what we are called to be as uh, believers that are in a particular context at a particular time. Lord, I just invite your spirit to direct and guide uh, my words, that you would be honored, that your word would be lifted up. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so as you know, we're in a, a little uh, break from our normal type of series, and we're looking at our vision statement, which is going together, uh, and it's a community of people restored to relationship with God through Jesus Christ, going together to share God's love with Clearwater and the world. And we've talked about already how we have a God who is a going God, who doesn't stand back from us, who's personal, and I was reflecting as we were uh, singing those songs, and I love uh, the one song, uh, You Are Good, all the, or God is Good All the Time, All the Time, God is Good. And in the last version of the verse, it switches from saying God is good to you are good. And I appreciate that because what it's saying is God isn't just some deity concept figure out there that we can't relate to. He's a person that we can say, you are good. You are personal. You are someone that I can talk to. Uh, you aren't a distant God you are someone that I can say, you, God, are good all the time. All the time, you, God, are good. He's personal. And, and the way we see his personal nature is that he didn't just spin the world into existence and step back, uh, but when the world rejected him plainly, it disobeyed his clear word, he didn't, he didn't just let it die. He actually came and, and stepped into it uh, in the in the exact moment when man fell, and as well in the ultimate moment when he brought Jesus straight to the cross. Um, you know, the story of Adam and Eve is interesting. He says, you will surely die, right, if you take of this tree, and they don't die immediately. They, they lose their, you know, their everlasting life in the Garden of Eden and their everlasting um, uh, command over the earth, but he restores them to a new position and place, and he wraps them in clothes that are better than the ones they tried to make for themselves. Our God is a going God. He comes to our situations. And so we serve a going God, and, and as such, we don't uh, serve a going God and just say, that's great for you, God, but God has actually called us to be like himself. He has created us in his image. He's called us to reflect his beauty we serve a going God. We are a going people. And last week we started on talking about the various ways that as a particular church, 
as a particular community of believers, we are together. We have come together as a community. And what that looks like is a number of things. We, we learn together, we live together, we celebrate together, we pray together, we serve together. We probably do a host of other things together. And so this week, as we look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, we're talking about how we live together. As you read that passage, you just get a, you get a beautiful picture of a group of people that has been knit together in, in an amazing way. So, so much so that God is doing miracles in their midst. It says that they held everything in common. They were together and held everything in common. We're going to look at that idea of, of having everything in common today. You'll see on your notes there, the first thing we're going to look at is, is the common things that these individuals had, in, uh, had together with one, with one another. They had everything in common uh, when they first came to know the Lord. Everything except one thing, which I'm going to point out. <laughs> um, they had a common experience. They had a common context. And they had a common mission. But they didn't start out having everything in common. They actually start out being very, very different. Uh, what the, the context of our passage today here in 42 to 47 is the day of Pentecost, right? And so uh, the Spirit has come down on the disciples and has visited them. And the disciples are now speaking in languages that they had no idea of beforehand. And as they're speaking these languages, people around them that also speak those languages, are now hearing them and understanding what they're saying, even though they know these individuals don't speak these languages. They didn't know these languages. So why were there people there that knew various languages? Well, earlier in chapter 2, we see that uh, devout Jews from all the nations under heaven, it says, have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, to celebrate this feast of Pentecost. And so they're all there enjoying the Feast of Pentecost. And when the Spirit falls on the believers, they start speaking in all these languages that have now assembled in Jerusalem. <clears throat> these Jews had come together to celebrate uh, Pentecost, which is really like the, the giving of the law for them. So when they received the law, they received instruction, it coincides with that. And so now a, a new rule is coming, a new instruction is coming. And that instruction is that now you are a community of people. So they had one difference, and that was that they had come from every nation under heaven to come and, and celebrate with their friends and with their family, to enjoy each other's company. They had a common uh, commonality in that, but they were from all over the place. And they had been spread out for so long that they knew different languages, and, and the language they communicated in was different than uh, the language everyone else was communicating in. So when they hear these disciples speaking in their own language, they're amazed, because there's no way these guys from Jerusalem now know how to speak in, you know, Ethiopian or whatever. They've come from far off. So they had a common experience. Their common experience was that they saw these disciples speaking in their own languages the same message to each of them. And that message was that Jesus had come to fulfill the Old Testament. They'd come to fulfill the Old Covenant. And he'd come as Messiah. 
that, that he was the expected Messiah, that they were looking for it, had been, had been looking for for a long time. And as they heard Peter explaining to them that, no, these guys aren't drunk, they're actually uh, speaking in the Spirit, they've been given this ability by the Holy Spirit, um, the, these 3,000 actually asked this question, what are we supposed to do? And he says, repent and believe and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. They all have a common experience. Their common experience is that they have found Jesus to be Lord and Savior. They've come to know Jesus as the way to the Father. That's their common experience. They also have a common context. Uh, Their context is that they live in a time when Rome... uh, it carried much of the territory of the known world, had, had much of the authority of the known world. So they come at a time when, uh, when they are called to say that Caesar is Lord rather than anybody else. Not that he's just our president, but that he is divine in some nature, that he holds authority uh, beyond just life. At this point, they're probably obscure enough that they don't maybe feel the immediate threat of Caesar, Uh, But ultimately, we know historically that they would feel that as Christianity grew, as faith in Christ grew, they began to be persecuted by the Caesars. But certainly, even at this point, for them to come forth and say, acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, was in defiance of uh, the rule of law. They also had a common context in that these, at this point, these are all Jews. And they're all trying to come to grips with the fact that what do we do now that the Messiah has come? What do we, like, what does life look like now? Do we go to the temple? Are we supposed to continue in sacrifices? Like all these questions they're probably grappling with in a serious way. See, it's not like they, uh, they just stepped into a new church and started singing Chris Tomlin songs and, uh, you know, just changed religions. <laughs> there wasn't Chris Tomlin, believe it or not. It's hard to imagine that, but um, it was completely new to them. There was no context for them to uh, understand what it was, was supposed to look like. Do we sing four songs and then do we have a sermon? Like, what does community look like? What does church look like? What does gathering look like? They had no idea. They had a common context in that they were trying to figure out How, if Jesus has come and restored some new order, how are we to function together? They're all trying to come to grips with this. So they have a common uh, experience, they have a common context, and they have a common mission. We know this about them, that they had previously, 10 days before this experience, the, the disciples probably... Uh, 12, uh, 120 to 400 uh, estimated may have received this commission that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. They'd all been given that. And what we understand from the context of Acts is that as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, there's only 120, and that, that the number of possibly four to 500 people had dwindled down to 120 just in 10 days. So that's some serious, like, loss of group there. 
But they all had a common mission. That common mission was to make disciples of all nations, to, to share the teachings of Jesus with all who they came to encounter. And, and Jesus had, been, had already told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and he would show you exactly how this would happen. So we have these things in common. They have a common experience, they have a common context, and they have a common mission. And, and the result of all those common things, there were 3,000 individuals, which is great, um, is that they are rejected now by many of their family members and many of their friends because they have now said that, that Jesus, this man that the rest of us decided to crucify, uh, we actually believe he was, in fact, who he said he was, that he, that he is the Messiah, and so now they're standing against their immediate culture and their larger culture completely. They have a common experience, a common context, a common mission. And in a common way, they're dependent on each other. Uh, the, the normal support, support structure that they would have had has been changed completely. Their beliefs have set them at odds with those around them, with odds with their families and their friends. Maybe even businesses that, that have resulting effects of their change of beliefs. And so what resulted was that you've got a new community of people, 3,000 individuals that are responding to this message, that now have to rely on a new structure of community and have to depend on each other. And that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 to 47, and, and really throughout, uh, throughout the story of Acts. What we see is that this, this common experience, this common context, this common mission has drawn them so together in unity that they have a common care for each other, that they know the struggles that each, each other are going through, and they meet the struggles and the needs that are there. We see a, a small picture here in Acts of what is to come. And, and what is to come, uh, I just want to read this passage out of uh, Revelation here in a second. But um, Jesus came to establish the kingdom on earth. As when, he, when he's asked how to pray, right? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The desire of of Jesus, the desire of the Father is to bring the kingdom into our world, to, to bring his kingdom to our world. That's the desire. And so this is what the kingdom in the future looks like. This is what the ultimate kingdom looks like. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away." This is the trajectory of our lives as believers. No tears, no crying, no pain, no death. Everlasting presence of God.
And so it's interesting, when we look at the community in Acts, what we see is a sliver of that, a taste of what that is like to embrace the fact that God has conquered every circumstance and situation. It said of this community in Acts later in chapter 4, this in verses 34 to 35, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and was laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had a need. All the needs were filled in the community of faith. If you had come to rely on Jesus as your Lord and Savior and had, had committed to the same community that was preaching that and, and exalting the Lord Jesus, there wasn't a need among you. You were cared for. You were family. You were brothers and sisters. There was not a needy person among them. Common care had resulted from a common experience in a common context and a common mission. He said, if we're in this mission to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, then we've got to look something like the kingdom is supposed to look like. And the kingdom looks like no tears, no pain, no death, no sorrow. beautiful thing for the community of faith is that Jesus has conquered death. There is no death for us in the community of faith. We may, yes, physically die, but immediately after that, we are in the presence of God. The crying and the pain can be met with a community that loves and surrounds one another. There was not a needy person among them. So I want to talk about that for just a second. The, the fact is that there was a specific community. Among them, there was not a needy person. It, do, it doesn't say at this point there were, there were no needy people on the earth. And the fact is that still remains. There are still many people that are needy upon the earth. But there's a specific community that we are called to as believers, and that is one another. The fact is that there are 7.5 billion people on the earth now. I remember thinking like growing up, it was like 6 billion, so that was like a decade ago, right? So it's just crazy. 7.5 billion people. And the thing we have to realize is that you've been given limitation. You have a limited capacity in your life. In fact, even Jesus had a limited capacity in what he did during his life, right? Twelve disciples, 120 people that resulted uh, in waiting for him when he would send the Spirit. He didn't cure every disease on the earth. He, he, didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't restore all blindness to all people. He didn't restore all the lame. That should show us that our calling and our purpose that God has given us isn't to change the entire world. It's to change the community that God has put us in. He has determined the boundaries of our living and the time at which we live for the purpose that we would call out to the Lord and see him. And so sometimes in this world of complete connectivity to all things happening across the globe at all times, the fact that we can learn what has happened in India in a second is amazing. 
But sometimes it can be overwhelming. You can say, you know all these things that are happening all over the place, and it can just be overwhelming. But I want you to know is that God has called you to what he has called you to. And what he's called you to is, is to a community of people to care for and to love. Does he call you to the nations? Yes, he does. He calls people to the nations. So there's a specific community that is here. We see this uh, in a number of ways. We see this in church life. We see this in family life. As Paul is giving directions to Timothy, he says this about, uh, about family care. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty harsh. God has called us to care for the families that he has placed us in, to, to care for those that he has sovereignly and purposefully put around us. He's placed us there to care for each other. And if we are claiming to be followers of Jesus and deny that responsibility, Paul is telling Timothy, you're, you're as bad as an unbeliever to not care for those that you've he's placed right around you. Like biologically, he is placed in you, knit together in your mother's womb and placed into a particular family. You have a specific purpose to serve that family and to love them and care for them. So family is a specific community that, that we are called to love and care for, especially as believers. In our church and, and in many uh, church plants, and, and I think more churches are sort of uh, coming along in this idea, the importance of uh, community. And in a lot of new, newer church plants in the past 10 years for sure, and you know, in other nations probably more so than in America, they've probably led the charge on this, uh, the importance of having what, what is typically termed missional communities. And we just consider that our community groups. Uh, but the idea is that your community group isn't just a place that you go, you know, learn the Bible from someone that spent some time in the Bible that week, you know, a specific purpose. It's, it's that you come together as a group of people intentionally to, uh, to, yes, study the Word and understand the Word, but also to know each other's cares and know each other's burdens and to bear them together. And so it's nothing new, really, um, and I think it's pretty evident from the Bible that, that this was happening. I mean, I, I don't envision that all 3,000 people were just regularly gathering together in one location all the time. I, I think that it was probably very natural to assume that they were dispersed throughout their city, dispersed throughout their, uh, their nations even as they go back. There's a specific community that we're called to care for. I would say this opens up even further to, uh, to church as well. There's a specific church, there's a specific body of believers that you've been called to. When you're called to, be a part of a church. When you're called to play a role in that. The reason we don't skip from church to church to church to church to church across Pinellas County is that we've been called to be together and to know each other and to grow in relationship and encourage each other. And you can't do that when you're at a different place every Sunday. Yeah, you just can't keep track. 
I mean, as an individual or as a, as a church trying to care for its people, there's no way. It's about intentionally making relationships where we depend on each other and care for each other. One specific area that this uh, relates to and you know, I think is obvious from the text is that the, we've all been given possessions, right? We've been given things to steward and to use. And those things, uh, what we have in common now is that those things have, have been uh, really put in the hands of the kingdom and said, Lord, like, use, use me however you can. My possessions, my time, my talents, whatever it is, use me. I, I'm available to you. And so in tithing, you know, right now we're in, we've got, in this church, you've got like one community group. Uh, but as we grow and as we have multiple community groups and multiple communities around, in my mind, so you know, like my, my initial desire for people, if they're thinking about what can I do with my money to honor the Lord in, in tithing or in giving offering, the first priority is to your community group. Make sure the needs in your community group are fulfilled. That's the most important thing. If, if there's something you can fulfill one month, it's like, you know what, uh, someone just needs X, Y, Z, and I'm willing to provide that. That's how I'm giving to the Lord today. This community within this church, I'm giving to them in this way. That's beautiful. That's, that's called direct tithe. <laughs> you know, we've got direct trade coffee here where we get coffee straight from a farmer uh, from, you know, other countries and uh, and and the, the person distributing it to us is directly interacting with that farmer. It's direct tithing. You know, you're finding a need immediately in your community that in an old model of things would have passed through a church and through the benevolence fund and then back into somebody's need. That's not necessary. If you see a need, fill the need. Fill the need. And secondary to that is that there's a church that's proclaiming the gospel and it needs support. That's secondary to the needs that are in your community. And that church itself, we carry a benevolence fund and we, you know, we try and be able to be generous when needs are there to fill. But our first call is to find that within our community and be able to make that decision at a personal level. <clears throat> so there's a specific community um, and we're called to be, to be open with our resources that God has given us to fill the needs that are around us. But there's also even a, a limit to that. And this is why, um, yeah, there's a limit to even that. And that's this, that there are specific, there's a specific community, but there's also specific expectations in the community. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons are command, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Our goal is to help each other grow. And there are seasons for all of us that we will face in life when we've lost a job or uh, when, you know, you know, big medical expense came to exist in our context and some burden comes about and we have to work through that. And what our community should do isn't just say, well, we're just going to take care of you for the rest of whatever, no expectations. 
It's not God's desire for us. He wants us to grow through circumstances, to, to fight through them, and, and yes, to have help when we need it, but also not to just lean on that alone when we are able and uh, able to do things for ourselves. There are specific expectations that are given. Our common experience, our common context, our common mission uh, to bring the kingdom of God into this world results in a common care. A common care that says, yes, I will be there when you have a need. And yes, I will not enable you to depend on just handouts. You know, those are two of the same thing, the two different expressions of the same desire for us as people. God has given us each a calling and a purpose to accomplish. And it is good for us to be there when there's a need to fulfill it and also to encourage each other to do that, which we, are no, which we know we're able to do. Some people look at this uh, passage and, and make an argument for, uh, for Christian communism and it's far from it. Um, it's not really there at all. Um, you can't really, uh, can't really take it from this context just because as they distributed, as they distributed their proceeds, they distributed them as there was a need. And people retained their possessions and they, they willingly gave them when needs arose. Uh, they, they were not put into a pot that was held by some organization and then distributed by some uh, person that was elected to distribute those funds. That, that is what communism would be. Forced taking of all property and equal distribution by some authority in fair manner, right? Um, no, as needs come up, we, we can find them. We can meet them. And, and that's why missional community is so important is that we see each other's needs. We're right there in each other's lives and we're praying for each other. And we say, you know what? You know, I, I see that you're you know, short on rent this month because of we know these circumstances. We've been talking about it for a long, long time and we want to come and bless you and help you through this time. And sometimes, you know, sometimes those needs are even further extreme than that. I mean, we've, we're blessed by getting to go over to the Timothy Initiative and see when needs get even harder than just uh, barely making rent this month or, you know, low on food or whatever. When life has hit in a major way and major rehab needs to happen in life. But even there, there's a specific expectation with everyone that goes through the program. As a body of believers, we've been called to life together. And that, it just looks messy because we're all people and we all have problems and we all make messes in our lives because we're still sinners. But the trajectory of the kingdom is no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. And he's given us the capacity in the, in, in the body of Christ to see that there is no needy person among them. To step up when an issue arises and to help in every way we can. So why? Why is that important? Why would God want us to do that? Why, why is this uh, relevant? Finding complete unity in the body of Christ demonstrates 
the oneness of the Trinity itself. John 17 uh, says this, I do not ask for these only, that meaning the 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Why do we have to depend on each other in every way, shape, and form? We've got a common experience. We've got a common context. We've got a common mission. And that mission is to see that the character of God is on display for the world. And the character of God is that he cares for every person in his creation, that he is a going God, and that when an issue arises, he goes to that issue and is right there present in it, never leaving it for a second. We're called to find this unity in the body of Christ because it demonstrates the unity that is in God himself, demonstrates the glory and the beauty that is on display in the Trinity. It is a proclamation of the gospel to our world when we care for one another like that. So as we wrap up, let's go with this. Know that you can be united with God. He has come to you. He's opened himself up to you. He has asked you to come and, and be by his side and pray right at his throne room because of the blood of Jesus. Be united with God. Be united with the church. When we moved to Boston to go to seminary, uh, we had a, <clears throat> a pastor that we knew up there, and so we went and visited his church. And uh, you know, the first thing he said to us when we visited was that um, there are a lot of great churches in Boston, and I want you to try them out. He said, it doesn't matter if you come to my church. It matters that you go to church, that you find a place that you can connect in. And I really appreciated that because what he's saying is that I'm, I'm not greedy for people coming here. I, I'm, it's not about him. It wasn't about him. It was about connecting a person that has come to a new environment to a body of believers that would rightfully care for them. And I would want to say that to anybody that came through our doors. We're soon to be able to open freely our doors to people. And the fact is, it's not just about Restoration Church. It's about the body of believers. And, and yes, I, I do believe with all my heart that you should be attached to a specific church, that you should be invested in a specific church and in a specific community because God, I, I believe, uses that mightily for his kingdom when we depend on each other to that level. But it doesn't have to be this church. There are a lot of churches in Pinellas County preaching the gospel and desiring to live out the, the, the word of God. And so if someone comes through these doors and, and, and wants to connect with community, know that our expectation isn't necessarily that they connect here. 
If they want to connect somewhere else, that's fine. There's, there's many great churches in our area that they connect with. But we should know that it's important to connect, to be united with the church. In doing so, I think we realize that it's there that we find ourselves united with the church, with the body of believers. When we realize that it's not just about our community, though that's very important to us, that it's about God's mission throughout the whole of Pinellas County, through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's about the whole body of Christ and connecting people exactly where they ought to be and being sure they're in the right place. If it's here, we would love that. If it's somewhere else, that's awesome too. But just let it be somewhere. Because God has sovereignly given each one of us, each and every one of his followers that has come to repent and, and, and follow Jesus, he has given him the Holy Spirit. And if, if we don't connect ourselves to a body of believers, we are saying, you know what, God, those gifts you gave me by the Holy Spirit, they're just not important to other people. And so I'm just going to keep them to myself and not intentionally connect to a body. And that would be the saddest thing. And it's happened way too often in our culture. God has given us each gifts that we would be united with the church. And that looks like uniting with a specific community of people with which we can live. So our call today is that we live together. That the glory of Jesus would be seen among us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this body of believers that you are knitting together. God, I pray that um, we could be like the body in Acts where um, there's not a needy person among us. That every need that arises, we can fill. that we can support and encourage, that we can be generous beyond what we ever expected. God, we pray for our city and, and our, our county, our region, that people across this area would find the body of Christ to be a place where they are cared for and loved where they have a family that knows them and challenges them and strengthens them in the faith. Lord, thank you for being a God who, who cares about every aspect of our lives, that, that you sent your son to live here for 33 years on this uh, planet as a carpenter's son experiencing life just as we experience it. You value it, Lord, and so I pray that we would value it for one another. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.